My name's Mark. I'm glad to be here. I hope you're glad to be here. Are you glad to be here? Hey, would you welcome Bearden, Roan County, Ampton, Blend as they're joining with us today? Give it up for them. We see you. We know we're together. Hey, it's good to be together, and the summer is coming to an end. That may make some people sad, maybe make other people kind of glad. Something else is coming to an end. If you've been vacationing at all this summer, and you know that we've been in the book of Genesis, you might have... You might have missed a week or two. When you left, we were probably in the middle of the book. Today, we're in chapter 50. If you know anything about Genesis, that's the last book of the, that's the last chapter of the book of Genesis. So we're in Genesis chapter 50, and we're finishing up a series. And the series we've been wrestling through and walking through this summer is all about building our faith. It's about building our faith in God, building our faith in our relationship with him. And as we've discovered, it doesn't just happen. Building our faith happens over time. It takes a long, a long time to build a faith. It's amazing how a faith can be established and we can enter into a relationship with God literally in the moment. And yet, it takes a lifetime to see that thing build and grow. It doesn't just happen with the passing of time or age. Don't you wish it would? Some of you who are looking as old as I am, that it would just become something we are and we're deepening our faith. But it, it happens in real mileage. It happens in real engagement in our relationship with God as we respond to God's pursuit of us and respond in pursuit right back after him, having a heart for Jesus. And that's a lot of work. It's a, it's a work that takes place over an entire lifetime. Hey, let me tell you something else. My, uh, my daughter, Megan, has become, in, in this chapter of her life, a potter. She's, uh, she actually took it up, and I thought, I wonder, I wonder how long this will last, but it's been a few years now, and, and Megan loves to throw some, some clay onto a wheel and determine what that, what that thing's going to become. In fact, she's gotten pretty good. You might not be impressed. I'm still impressed with my kids' artwork, but uh, she made, this is just one of the things she made. She made this really cool mug. It actually holds the coffee, keeps it hot. And you know, some mugs drip when you drink out of them. I don't know how she did it, but this one doesn't seem to drip when you pull your mouth away from the mug. And there's this really cool mushroom on the side of it. It's kind of like a, a mushroom mug. It's pretty interesting. And, and Meg had complete mastery over what this would become, what this would look like, the creativity of it, and what it would be formed to become, and, and had complete control over that. And that ties into where I, I believe we've been over this last few months in the book of Genesis, that God has complete mastery and control over that which he's created. In fact, here's the big idea for the weekend. Our faith is built over time as we embrace God's mastery over his creation. Our faith is built over time as we continue to embrace God's mastery over all that he created. This is the theme of the book of Genesis from the introduction to God's story found in chapter 1 all the way through to this conclusion that we see in Joseph's life in chapter 50. Joseph's story is one of trusting God and his mastery over creation. Now, if anybody would have reason to question if God's in control, last week we, we, we actually unpacked the first half of his story. We'll finish the second half this week. If anyone had question to believe that, that God would be in control over what was going on in his world and his life, I, I would think we'd all say, Joseph had reason to question that. A lot of hard stuff happened in Joseph's life. And yet there's a different picture that we see in him. Though he was wronged, though his brothers did him wrong, his brothers did him dirty, he was accused of sexual assault, he was thrown into prison, but he was actually discovered there, freed from prison, became a master over a house, and then eventually became second in control over the world, the known world at that time of Egypt. This, this picture of faith that we see in Joseph, seen over a long period of time, I believe is actually elevated and revealed in this poignant conversation he has with his brothers 
pretty close to the end of his life. And we're going to get to that in chapter 50. But, but here's, what, here's what we learn about this conversation, this very poignant conversation Joseph has with his brothers. We, we get a clear indication from Joseph in this conversation that, that as he asked this rhetorical question, he says to his brothers, am I in the place of God? They come to him and he goes, am I in the place of God? And then he gets into a theological declaration. He says to them, and this should sound familiar to a lot of us, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, that, that's a brother who sees the bigger picture, who sees God over all that he's created. Our faith is built over, over time as we embrace God's mastery over his creation. This is the summary of Joseph's life, and it's the summary of the book of Genesis. Joseph, though raised to power and authority, understood that God holds mastery over it all, over all that he's created. Joseph clearly understood the story it's only, his story was only a story within the bigger narrative. He had a clear picture of this. And in this conversation, he provides a picture of faith that calls us to more. It calls us to understand that we can have more. We, in the midst of whatever comes our way, whatever trial, circumstance, or place we find ourselves in, Joseph's life of faith says to you and I, we can have faith as well in the midst of whatever we face. I want us to look at Joseph's story, the end of his story in chapter 50, Verses 15 through 21. Grab your, grab your Genesis journal, your smartphone, your Bible. And if you don't have that, just look behind me on the screen. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they, be, when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Does that sound familiar to a couple visions and dreams that Joseph had early on in his life? Verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I'll provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now the story itself is pretty impressive, but did you catch the last line there? Thus he spoke to them and comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. Who does that? I have brothers. I don't think at the end of it all I'd be saying, hey, let me take care of you. He spoke kindly to them and spoke kindness to them. What an, amazing, what an amazing picture of a guy who wasn't caught up in the reality of the, the turmoil that was his family, but his eyes were fixed on God and God alone. God ultimately is in control and has mastery over his creation. Joseph exemplified this, even over the circumstances of his life, even over some pretty hostile relationship realities within his family. So how do I get there? How, how do I have a faith like that? How, how do I build my faith? How do I partner with God in seeing my faith grow and become and mature and develop to this place? The first step is this. It's recognizing God knows what he's doing. It's recognizing God knows what he's doing. It really does come back to the, the, the big idea for the weekend, that God has mastery over all of his creation. God knows what he's doing because he created it. 
God formed it. God knows exactly what he's doing. This goes all the way back to the beginning of the book of Genesis chapter one. God formed it. He saw chaos and out of chaos, he brought order. He created the world out of nothing. He created man and woman. He formed man and woman, brought them into existence and breathed life into their nostrils. God, God knows what he's doing because it's he that formed it. It's he that's created it. He's not surprised by anything that's happened in the world, not surprised by anything that's happened in your world or your life. He's not a God who's in response mode, just trying to figure out how he can make the best of things and, and make, make things work. That's not how God is. That's not who God is. Joseph had a, a clear picture that, that God was over all things. God had, had actually created this world. And, and he finds himself in this wild place after all that's taken place is this, this conversation he has with his brothers that, that they said to him, hey, hey, dad told us that um, you, you got to be sure that you forgive us and that you take care of us. And he ends up in second command of Egypt over the entire world. A disowned brother, a slave, a prisoner, becomes a household manager, a dignitary, second in command of the known world. That's amazing. You know, you can't write this stuff. <laughs> but God can. God does. And unlike other folks in Genesis, Genesis there, there appears to be this resolve within Joseph. There's this, there's this core reality that he understands that, that God's in control of everything. And surrendering to this mystery is to embrace the truths of Scripture, to embrace the truth of who God is. Though everything in this world un unravels sometimes, and everything in our, our world sometimes kind of hits a wall, this kind of trust and faith in God is possible. I don't know if you've ever felt like a train plowed through your living room, metaphorically. You've just been doing life, been walking, you've been faithful as much as you know how to be faithful to God, and, and yet out of nowhere it feels like some tragedy, some crisis has taken place in your world, and a train has literally plowed through your world and plowed through your life, and everything you once knew looks very different. And that's, that's got to be what Joseph felt like as, as the days and years of his life unfolded. Like, what's going on? Something, something doesn't make sense of all this. And though everything in me does not want to trust a God who would allow that to happen, and more than that, be a part of and have mastery over what's taken place in my life, I believe God's called us as followers of Christ to be in a place where we say to him and respond to him, I don't understand this fully, but I do believe that, that you form this world, you form me, and you have mastery over all that's going on in this world and in my life as well. That's the place that I believe God's called us to live. And, and to live there, to live in this place where the rubber meets the road, I, I believe all of us get to this spot, whether you've gone through something minor or major, and you, def, you def, define what that looks like in your life. All of us get to this place where we go, is God really in control of this thing? He either is or he isn't. We either believe that he is or he isn't. And, and to get to this place where we trust God, no matter what's going on in our life and in our world, it actually requires that we surrender to the mystery of the way in which God works. There's this mystery in the way in which God works, and there's a surrendering that God requires us to do. Without question, this is where Joseph had to live. I can't imagine as he walked through his life, it all made sense. I can't imagine that everything that transpired from being thrown into a cistern, by, by being left for dead, by being sold as a slave, by being accused of a woman of something he never did, by, by others in prison promising to get him out and being left there forever. And it feels like there's got to be a place within Joseph and in his own mind and his own psyche. He, he's got to go, what's going on? What's happening with this? And yet there's a surrendering that takes place that, that must take place in my life and in your life when we face difficult times. 
that, that this thing doesn't make complete sense, and yet I'm going to surrender to the mystery of it all. He simply went out one day, as his dad told him to, to go check on his brothers. He went out in his beautiful jacket or coat or whatever it was. And by uh, the end of the story, he, he, he winds up not heading home that day, but ends up as a, a significant dignitary on the world stage. Surrendering to this mystery is to embrace the truth of the scriptures in the very midst of what's unraveling. Surrendering to the mystery, this mystery that, that is a part of our walk with God, really does require us to embrace the truths of the scriptures in the very midst of what's unraveling and the things that are, that are unglued in my world and in my life. And, and, and that's a place where it's sometimes it's just hard to get there. It's hard to, it's hard to move and, and, and actually operate in that space. And yet I find great comfort from the scriptures when God says in Isaiah, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's surrendering to a God who knows more, who knows better, who understands the big picture, who is, who is at work in that. There's, there's, there's a battle with that. And there's a relief that comes with that. The battle with that is, don't you want to know when you're going through something tough, why you're going through it? If I just knew why I was going through this, I think it would help me understand and maybe hunker down and survive this thing. Maybe you said this. I've heard somebody say this to me recently. Like, uh, they're going through a tough time, and they go, I just want to learn the lesson God wants me to learn. As if you could learn that and expedite the resolution quicker. That's not about God being mastery. That's about you being in mastery over the world and the life and the crisis you're in. There's, there's this place, and I hate it, and I love it. There's this place of tension we live in as we surrender to the mystery of I don't fully understand it, but I do understand that you are who you say you are, and I'm going to put my hope and my trust in you. That's a powerful place and a difficult, and a difficult place for a lot of us to be. We either believe that or we don't. We either end up in a space where we believe that or we don't. And surrendering is not giving up, but it's a clear conscious choice to trust the one, the only one who's ultimately in control. That's a battle, but it's also a relief. Isn't it? I'll just speak for myself. It's a relief to me to know as much as I've put thought, mind, and try to figure something out and think something through and try to understand what God's up to, that I can't figure it out. You know what would be even scarier? If I could figure it out. If I could know the mind of God, if I could understand his mind in such a way that I know exactly why I'm facing or why someone's facing the difficulty or the crisis they're walking through, that would scare me to death. That would put me in a place that, that I don't belong. There's some tension I feel and a battle I feel, but also a relief to know that there's someone greater than I am. I hope that feels, I hope that feels like a relief to you as well. Surrendering to the mystery is trusting God, believing even when I don't understand. There, there's no way that Joseph could have understood the meaning and the purpose behind the events of his life. There's just no way unless God had pulled back a curtain and showed him and told him. You know, we, we read his story in just a few minutes. It probably takes five, ten minutes to read through his story. This story took him a lifetime, his adult lifetime, to walk through, live, breathe, experience, walk it out. And as these final chapters of Genesis, we get a, a decent picture of the why. Sometimes God actually does give us a picture of the why. We, we, we get an indication here. Even in this conversation, he says to his brothers, hey, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, that, that I might be a part of helping to, to actually save the world. Joseph, Joseph was used in this profound way to actually step in with the wisdom God gave him to, to actually step into a, a world famine at that time and create such a structure that, that the world survived it. And, and more than that, 
There's this beautiful picture that, that we see in Joseph's lineage. Not only did God use him to, to actually save the world, but God used him to tie the truths of what he told his grandfather, Abraham. You're going to be a great people and a great nation. And from your loins is going to come the, the Messiah one day. J Joseph's lineage and Joseph rescuing the world and rescuing his own personal family and his brothers and his father ties him all the way back, not only to Jacob, but all the way back to Abraham and back to Adam himself. And it ties him to the future, to the person of David, to one day the person of Christ himself, to Jesus our Messiah. There's this beautiful picture. He could not possibly understood the significance and the meaning of what was taking place in his world as God was using him. I think it was Nichols talked about this last week. He just tooted his horn. Right? He just kept tooting his horn week after week, day after day, pl playing the horn, the, the tooting sound that God gave him to do. And in his obedience, God used him to do a mighty work and a mighty thing. There are times that God allows us to see the why. That's awesome. It's not often the, the case, but it's awesome. I'll get personal for half a second here. Um, some of you know this story. You've heard it a couple times before. Some of you are new. And I haven't always been here. Not even on this earth, but I've not always been here at, at Tours Church. In fact, for 22 years, Terry and I made our home in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And we really believed with, with all of our hearts at some point, we'd been there 22 years, that this is probably where we're going to die. So we were actually looking at burial plots. Kind of a creepy thing to do, but they're probably cheaper now than they will be when we need them. So that sounded good to us. And uh, spring of 2012, God drove a, a train right through our living room. And before I knew it, like, I didn't see it coming. Before I knew it, I was living in, in Lenore City. I love Lenore City. I'm not living in Farragut. For some of you Farragut snobs, I'm living in Lenore City. I'm an LC boy. I live in Lenore City. And, and, and before I knew it, I was in a new place, a new space, a, a new job, a new role. And, and I got to tell you, it, it was a difficult time in our life, difficult time in my life. As, as, much as, I, as, as much as I knew that I knew that I knew that I was being obedient to God, that this is exactly where he was calling us to be, there, there was a, a retching of, of a separation with a community and a people, a difficult space for me to live in for, for quite a while. In fact, the first couple of years, I just couldn't get my legs under me and almost bailed a few times. And yet looking back years later, and now even 10 years later, I look back and I, it makes more sense to me now. I get it. I can't believe, and I'm not even talking about the church. I'm talking about me and my wife and our family. I'm talking about my relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about Terry's relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about our relationship with our daughters and their relationship with Jesus. When I look back at what God has done over the last 10 years in, in our lives, transforming us, really transforming us and moving us to a new place. I'm not the same man I was. Terry's not the same woman. We're not the same couple. We're not the same family we were 10 years ago. Could that have happened in Charlotte? Maybe. But it sure seems to me like God had a purpose. And, and I look back and see the, the significance of the, the, the individuals and the realities and the circumstances of what's taken place in our life and the lives of those in our community and, our, and the people around us that have molded and shaped us. God's continued to transform us in a way that I never thought or imagined. And I look back now and, and I, I get it. You probably couldn't have told me that in spring of 2012, but like, I get it. I understand it. And sometimes God does that, doesn't he? He gives you a picture of, hey, I, I know this was tumultuous. I know this felt like a bomb that plowed into your world, and yet I'm at work. I know it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't look that way. But this thing that's actually racked your world is the very thing I'm using to draw your heart and your mind and who you are to me. And I wish he always gave us the reasons why. As great as that story is, 
I have probably 20, 30 stories where I don't know why. There's a lot of things in my world, walking with a lot of you through the stuff that you've walked through and are walking through. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get how it makes sense. I don't see the purpose. I, I don't understand what God's up to. I don't know why the diagnosis come the way they do. I don't know why relationships implode as they do. I don't know why. Fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. There's so many unanswered questions I have about what's going on in this world. God, are you really in control? Are you, are, do you have mastery over all of this? I'm walking in this mystery and the tension of it all, but, but there's a part of me oftentimes that's doubting and it's questioning. Maybe, it, it, maybe that's, that's your reality too. God, what are you doing? What are you up to? What's going on? And yet God gives us this space we live in and Sometimes the answers, sometimes we don't get the answers. I was talking to somebody this week, and they said, when we get to heaven, we'll probably have all those questions answered. And that brought relief for like half a second to me. I thought about it, I thought, I really don't think when I see Jesus face to face, those things are going to matter anymore. You know what I mean? They seem huge now, like, I just want to know, I want to understand, I want to grasp. You know, I think seeing Jesus face to face is an experience I, I haven't reckoned with yet to know that it's probably not going to mean a whole lot of why I'm going through, why you're going through, why we're going through what we are. Surrendering to the mystery is trusting God, believing even when I don't understand. There's no way Joseph could have understood. There are times in our life that God allows us to see the why, but oftentimes he, he allows us to live in the tension that we trust him. That said, Joseph's faith was built over time. We get a picture of a guy who, whose faith was built over time. He demonstrated belief that God was in control and embraced the mystery of life, the life that he was living. And, and I love what we're told about Joseph. When a wanton woman, a wanton woman accused him of doing something he didn't do because he, he didn't give her what she really wanted. Right? That's as Sunday as I'm going to do with that story. A wanton woman accused him of something he didn't do. And what happened to him? He got thrown into prison. And I love what, what chapter 39, I think it's verse 21, says that it happened immediately when Joseph was placed in prison. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. How did Joseph not only have faith, but I would even, I would even argue that, that his faith was built. How did he build his faith in the midst of the circumstances and the situations that were unfair, that were unduly his, Really? He, he, the answer's got to be locked into and, and understood that he understood that he was in the presence of God, that nothing was happening in his life apart from what God allowed to take place and God actually mastered in his life and, and in his world. <clears throat> Joseph experienced this presence of God. God was with him. We talked about this earlier on in the series. A couple weeks ago, the, the big idea for the weekend was faith is built on God's presence with us. If, if God's not with us, that's a scary place to be. Faith is built when we hit... When, when rubber meets the road and, and we hit those hard spaces in life, our faith is built when we, when we actually are, are reminded and are assured that God's presence is with us. And folks, if you've given your heart to Jesus, hear this. If you've given your heart to Jesus, hear this. God is with you. The Holy Spirit resides with you. The, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father physically, but he's placed his Holy Spirit with us so that we would never be alone. We are never alone. There's never a time, there's never a place, there's nowhere you can go on the face of this earth where you're ever alone. It's God's presence with us that gives us the, the, the tenacity, the assurance to know that no matter what comes our way, that, that God is with us. He's in this thing with us. 
I'm going to read that verse again because there's something else I want to hunker down on for a half a second. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. The Lord was with him and showed him steadfast love. I, I think I told you this last time I preached. I don't know why God's doing this. It's a mystery. But lately, I feel like I can't get away from these two words, steadfast love, steadfast love, steadfast love. I told you I was reading in the book of Psalms, and I started to underline. I had to go back and start over from the, the very first um, book of, of Psalms and started reading through the Psalms. And I think I got up to about 130 times through the book of Psalms that, that steadfast love is, is, is lifted up there and, and is actually jumps off the page. That God loves us steadfastly, resolutely, unwavering. There's nothing that can separate me or you from the love of God. Steadfast means no matter what, what is taking place in our world, God loves us. He's with us, and he's steadfast with us. In fact, wherever God is, all of his attributes dwell as well. And so one of those attributes is God's steadfast love with us. I, I, hope, I hope that levels you like it levels me. God's steadfast love, no matter what you've done. Let me even say it this way. It's amazing to me that God would know who we were from the foundations of the world, who we would become, what we'd be capable of, good, bad, and ugly. And a lot of us have been good, bad, and ugly. Amen? Own it. Amen? Amen? Yes. Good, bad, and ugly. God knew who we were, knew what we would do, those most vile things that we've participated in. God knew all that, and he said, you know what? I'm calling you to myself. There's nothing you can do that can separate you from my love. Steadfast, unwavering, resolute. That's the love that God has for us. And just as other folks have driven trains right into our living rooms and had a muck and made a mess of our lives, and there's some, probably some people you think of right now that I knew who was right in front of that train when they drove right through my living room. You've probably been on a train causing some wreckage yourself in the lives of other people. I know I have. Unintentionally, intentionally. There's a reality that we live in, and yet God knowing all of that says, you know what? I love you. And some of you need to be reminded of that today. You're loved. You're loved no matter what you've done, no matter what you're even wrestling with today. God's saying to you, I love you. I'm with you, and I love you. I've been reading through a, a, a prayer journal for years. It's a a Puritan prayer book. It's not all theologically accurate, so don't hear me endorsing the book. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of times where I, I find words fail me. And I read the words of someone other, someone other than I and, and their prayer, and it moves me to a place of grasping and understanding, just like the scriptures do, that leads me to a place of understanding a truth about God that, that I often sometimes miss in my own language. Here's a a quote that came out of this book this past week, and it just drove this further into my core about God's steadfast love. My salvation is the point where perfect created love and the most uncreated, perfect uncreated love meet together. Did you get that? Perfect created love and the most perfect uncreated love meet together. That's you and, you and I and God. For thou dost welcome me, not like Joseph and his brothers, loving and sorrowing, but loving and rejoicing. This love is not intermittent, cold, changeable. It does not cease or abate for all my enmity. There's nothing I can do to separate me from the love of God. But thy infinite love is a mystery of mysteries. And my eternal rest lies in the eternal enjoyment of it. It's a mystery of mysteries that God could know you, know me, and still love me, love you, and want a relationship with us and actually want to spend eternity with us. Surrendering to this mystery of his presence and love and all the, all the circumstance of life is believing that God really is in control and has mastery over all that he's created. 
that he created it and has mastery over all that he's created it. So how do I do this? How do I participate in building my faith? I'm a, I think this is part of the answer, if not at the core of it all. Embracing God's mastery of creation requires fixating on who God is. It requires you and I to fixate on who God is. As we fixate on who God is, as we're consumed with who God is, it allows us to actually surrender to the mystery. And as we surrender to the mystery, it actually allows us to, to give ourselves and to embrace that he's over all things, his mastery over all creation. This was an undercurrent of Joseph's life. It's both encouraging to read and a challenge to understand that there's something in this for you and I, that this life of faith that we're called to, this life of faith to trust God, that no matter what's going on in our lives or what, what's plowed into our world and our, into our, our existence, it's possible for you and I to have a faith that's unwavering. It's clear that Joseph had that as his brothers are now scared to death. Back to the story. They're scared to death. They come to Joseph and they say, okay, dad's dead now. Now we're going to get what's coming. This huge entourage moves and, and a bunch of Egyptians go. It's a, it's a pretty amazing funeral procession. And they get back from this and the boys go, I wonder if now we're going to get what's coming to us. It's the closest we get to any sense of regret on their part. And so they go to Joseph and they say, hey, before dad died, dad said this. I don't know if it happened or it didn't. It could have. But dad said this, hey, forgive us. Take care of us. And Joseph responds to them again in that rhetorical question. Am I in the place of God? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph has an amazing response, and his response reveals his fixation on God. Am I in the place of God? It's not about me. It's not about you. There's a bigger narrative at play, he's saying. The focus is not on what man has done to me, but on who God is. Do you hear that? The focus isn't what, on what man has done to you, but on who God is. Yes, his brothers did some pretty horrible stuff. Pretty horrible stuff. But his focus is not on what's been done or by whom, but his focus is on God. David in the Psalms gives us a very clear picture of this same reality, the same truth. He was being sought out to be murdered. And David cries out in Psalm 56, This I know that God is for me, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Eyes fixed on God, not on, the, not on his surroundings, not on the people in his life. The word directs us to be focused on God. And though others can do and have done some pretty horrific things to you and to me, the reality is, and I'll even say this, many have been mistreated intentionally, unintentionally, some even abused to the, the most horrific places and spaces in reality. And I'll say this, I don't mean it to sound harsh, and I have complete and utter respect for wherever you are in your journey. But wherever you are in your journey, God's calling us not to be fixated on the person who's damaged us, the persons who have damaged us, the, the reality of the things that have taken place to us, but, be, but to be fixated on him and him alone. That's where God's called us. And I wish I, wish I could offer you a prayer that you could walk forward and pray and we could just be done with whatever that is that's got a hold on your life. And yet, sometimes that happens that way. Most of the time, here's what it is. It's, it's not a simple prayer. 
but, but it's simply praying and continuing to pray and walking alongside other people, telling your story, sharing your story, helping, allowing other people to help you to get a perspective of God that he longs for you and I to have. Because the reality is the people that you feel like have hurt you or wounded you, the partner who's walked away, the business partner, the marriage partner, the person who's betrayed you, the, the, the person down the street who's talking smack about you or being accused, fill in the blank, whoever that is, Whoever that person is or those persons are, what, what we're giving them, and you know this, is control and life in our lives. We're, they're getting life in our narrative. That's not what God requires. That's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want those people to have life in our narrative. He wants to be the life in the center of our narrative. And, and I'm not saying that to be harsh. If you're not there, get there. But if you're not there, let's move there. Let's move there. All of us have something probably we've walked through or are working through. And yet that's where, that's where God's called us to be. And maybe it does take a bunch of people in your life to help you move there. Maybe it takes years to get there. And maybe the progress and the movement and the growth isn't even actualized until you're finally in glory face to face with Jesus. But I know this from the scriptures. I know that God's calling us there because that space and place that these, these realities are filling in our life, we're, we're, we only have so much capacity. That space that these people and these circumstances are filling in our life is space that God longs to fill. God longs to heal. God longs to be president. God, God longs to occupy. And as, they, as these spaces belong elsewhere, there's spaces that, that aren't being surrendered and given to God and God alone. That's the call. That's the space that God's called us to, to be fixated on him. It's not easy, but it's necessary to experience our faith growing, maturing, and building. Folks, I hope that a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, Lord willing, we're still alive, that, that I'm further along in my faith. I hope you're further along in your faith. I hope we grow and are continuing to grow and build our faith. This is a series where we get to the end, you can check the box. Well, I got to chapter 50, I'm good. Th this is a work that takes a lifetime for you and I to experience, for you and I to actually engage in. Th that's the work that God's called us to. That's, that's where he's placed us. And it comes from us being fixated on who God is. I told you before, I have this, I, th I hope this is our last dog. Our, our dog's name is Gabby. She's about this high. Gabby is fixated on an orange and blue ball. I mean, she's fixated on it. She, she will show up anytime, day or night throughout the, and just look at you with this orange blue ball in her mouth, tilt her head like, play ball, play ball, play ball, play ball. She will fetch that ball and bring it back as long as you possibly can throw it and she can possibly physically return and bring that ball back. She's fixated on it. I was thinking about that the other morning when I was brushing my teeth and I looked over and I just thought, really? It's six o'clock in the morning. You play ball? And I thought, wow, what, wouldn't it be awesome if I lived like that with Jesus? Jesus, 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 Jesus. That I'd be fixated on him. If I was fixated on him, I think it would help me. I know that it would help us to actually surrender to the mystery and actually embrace the mastery that he has control over all things in my world and my life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So let me ask you this question. You don't have to raise your hand. Not like I really expect you to answer out loud. That'd be even more difficult for you in other venues. But what, what, what is it that you're fixated on right now? What is it that you're... You're fixated on. You might say, oh, what is Jesus? Well, that's good. I'm glad. Good for you. Awesome. And I hope you stay there because it's not something you can just flip a switch on and stay there. It's, it's a battle to stay fixed on Christ. It's a battle to stay with our eyes fixed on Jesus. But what is it that you find yourself thinking about first thing in the morning or waking up three o'clock at night? What are the things that are wrestling through your mind? Is it something from the past? Is it something from the, the present? Some, some reality, some issue, some... Um, 
difficulty that you're walking through or someone close to you is walking through? Is it the future? Is, is it something that's coming down the road and you have anxiety about it? What, what, what is it? Is it, a, is it a person? Is it, is it a situation? Is it a circumstance? What, what is it that you find yourself and your mind resting in and finding a place in? And there's, there's a lot of things we think about. They're not all wrong, but are they the best things? Do, do, do they have the right um, priority? Are they think we should care about lots of things? I think we should care about all the things that are important. We should want a great family. But more than wanting a great family, we, we, we should want our hearts to be fixed on Christ and Christ alone. That's how you get and experience a lot of the things that we love and desire and want. And so let me ask you this. This week, I'm going to ask you to do something with me, with us. We're, we're going to pray together this week. And here's the question I want you to ask God in prayer. We're not going to do it this morning. I'm going to ask you to spend some time really doing this this week. God, what, what's... What's taking place in my life in a space that's filling my life that, that, that you long to fill? It's, it's a place in me that I know that I know that that's a space I need to let down. I need to trade this to fix my heart and my mind on Christ, the author and perfecter of my faith. What, what is it in my life? What is it in my world that you're calling me to trade out? And then I want to ask you to do this too. This is real practical. Real practical. I, I, I'm pretty practical. I like to know, like, tell me what to do. Well, this week, here's what I'm doing. I hope you join me. Three times a day, I want to pray this prayer. Jesus, Master, because of your steadfast love, I trust you. Jesus, I, I, I know that we call you Master. I'm going to actually say it in a way that, 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 that underscores the reality that you're over all things. Jesus, my Master, because of your steadfast love, because of your steadfast love, I'm going to choose to trust you. I want, I want us to pray it three times a day. Put it in your phone. Maybe for you, it's 9 o'clock. 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, maybe it's mealtime. Fix it to something in your life that happens three times a day that you can actually pray that prayer. And when you pray that prayer, allow, don't just pray the prayer and check the box. Pray the prayer, engage, engage with the Spirit of God as you pray. And, and I promise you, as you do that, the, the realities and the things that are in your life and in my life in all those different times of the day will find more and more their perspective as we put Christ above whatever it is that we're wrestling with, whatever it is we're we're longing for, wherever it is we're living, that we find ourselves being a people who put Christ first. Before we close, I feel compelled to um, just say to some of you who are in it right now, the phone call came, the wreckage has happened, the stuff that you're dealing with is too painful to move to all of this. The day will come when you can. I don't want you walking out of this place with guilt or shame because I'm not there. I want to be there. I believe God helped my unbelief, but right now it's just too hard. The, the, the carnage around me right now is, is too great. The pain of what I'm walking through is too much. I just want to pray for you right now. God, I just pray in the authority that's mine as a follower of Christ, being in Christ, I pray Jesus, I speak Jesus over the pain and the hurt and the reality that so many folks, not only in this room, but in each of our venues, um, across all of our campuses, folks even listening in, I, I pray and speak the name of Jesus and ask that you would bring a presence and a reminder of your presence in a way that only you can do. God, would you meet us? Would you meet them, each and every one, exactly where they are? It's in the name and the powerful name of Jesus I pray. Amen. There's no better way for us to fixate on Jesus than to 
pursue them together in worship. So let's stand across all of our venues. I invite you to stand as our worship leaders lead us.